Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. The kids came out and got a result against the wildly talented French side, and the cliches were flying like a swarm of hungry locusts. Heart, guts, energy, fight, spirit, effort. Pick one. We're all booking our tickets to the World Cup final in Qatar, right? Right, Greg? Bo- booking those tickets and planning our ticker tape parades with Dave Sarakin at the helm. Oh, yes. It's a beautiful day. It was a beautiful day on Sunday celebrating this victory slash draw against France. The winning draw, yes. Uh, Let me just start with some housekeeping here. A note from the corrections department. Last week I said Ireland conceded early to Denmark in their UEFA World Cup qualifying playoff and then lost their shape and were defeated 5-1. The truth is Ireland scored early and then gave up five goals, which shifts the narrative a bit. My mistake Nothing worse than hearing lies in a podcast. Apologies for that. Back Apology to, accepted. All right, great. Back to the France, the 1-1 draw with France. Well, let's just start real big picture. How encouraged were you by this game? I was encouraged in the sense that I thought that's – we talked about it. We both kind of thought this is what we were going to do, which was to set up to absorb pressure. And, and we did a good job of it. There are no tactics that exist for the player pool we have that would have given us any kind of an advantage over France. Uh, it was always going to be about, you know, minimizing as much as possible what France could do and then sort of praying to the gods of variance that bounces would kind of go our way. Uh, and even then, you know, I was still like, and then maybe we can lose 0-1 or 0-2. So to get the 1-1 draw, uh, those those variance gods were very kind. I would agree the variance gods were definitely on our side. How much stock do you put into this whole uh, we showed energy and spirit thing? Because I think you know, for a lot of folks, that was the big takeaway. We got outplayed. We we probably should have lost the game, but you know these kids came out and fought, and they got a result against a you know an, a superior France side. Whereas you know a, t- a talented or relatively talented senior team couldn't get a result at Trinidad and Tobago. So this is like you know new era, new new vibe. Do you buy that? No, I don't really. I feel like that's kind of, I mean, I feel like that's kind of just sort of garbage narrative stuff. Uh, I don't, I'm not in any way saying that the team lacked fight or spirit against France. I think they were, I think what they showed was a lot of concentration. I think what we also saw a lot of were sound tactics if for, for the setup that we were, or for the game plan we wanted to execute. Um, I don't think that a lot of teams in the, for the U S in the past have lacked the fight that, uh, I know the big story going around is that we just don't show that anymore. I think it's a lot easier to point at poor tactics and say, this is why we give up bad goals rather than saying they just aren't hustling enough. I think that's a bit of a, I think the hustle angle is always a bit of a cop out. Okay. Well, let's, let's go through this game. My sense of it was that the first, first 10 minutes were a bit of a horror show from the American perspective. Julian Green gifted Paul Pogba possession just outside the box early on, and Pogba took a rip, and Stefan got a fingertip on it, pushed it off the post. Maybe it was going to hit the post anyway, but we don't know. 
And and then CCV pulled Olivier Giroud down in the box as Giroud collected a cross. Clear penalty in my eyes. I don't know why it wasn't called. Then Giroud got a got a point blank header on a set piece. Tim Parker lost him, and he nodded it tamely at Stefan. So first ten minutes, three crises averted, but barely, I would say. And if any of those chances goes in, we're looking at a totally different, obviously situation right totally different situation and again a totally different narrative suddenly we lack fight and energy and we are a very green naive team that you know it's just that that's how narrow the margins can be for what the takeaways might end up so right there it's it's not looking good um but i would say the following 10 minutes basically from the 10th minute to the 20th minute was the best passage of play from the u.s on the game, and and that's not saying a lot, but we got our first spells of possession, and a couple hesitant ventures up Shaq Moore's side of the pitch. Moore was very susceptible defensively at wing back, but he did most of what we did in the attack came through him. It seemed to me. Did you see? Did you see some stuff you liked in that ten ten minute passage? Ten, uh, ten yeah. I- I think we legitimately did settle down, and I think that uh, even I think the sort of uh, settling of the nerves actually lasted throughout the entire game up until we conceded uh, late late in the seventy eighth. So I thought I'm talking like composure on the ball, and I know that our composure on the ball never turned into like we're going to actually create dangerous situations, but it didn't look like anybody was panicking when they had the ball. Like we would play. Uh, calm passes up until the point that France had essentially closed all of our uh, options. And then we might loft the ball up towards Bobby Wood or uh, Julian Green. So that for me is like progress. Like the fact that no one was like panicking when they got the ball. Um, They saw what their options were. They were able to pick out the one option that they had. And we, you know, we'd play that until, until there were no options left. Obviously, ideally we'd like to get to the point where those options are creating numerical advantages and, um, p- putting players in dangerous one v one situations, um, but I, I was pleased with the with that level of composure. Yeah, being as outclassed as we were, and I thought that lasted uh, essentially again like the next sixty minutes. You okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 attitude, like that uh, that body language, I'll say. I'm not saying we put together a ton of great spells of possession. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. Think, think of the number of times like Miazga is like laying a ball off to Stefan from like five yards away. Like that was just it was just really like okay, I can solve this immediate problem uh, and find something that you know puts us in a slightly less dangerous position. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the formation real quick. It was a three-five-two or a three-six-one, whatever you want to call it. It's similar to the way the U.S. trotted out against Mexico at the Azteca in qualifying which was i would say probably our best performance of the of the hex so sarakin sort of reached back into that playbook the three center backs were parker on the left miazga in the middle and uh ccb on the on the right and then surprising to me i don't know were you surprised to see sarakin start shackmore and anthony robinson at wing back uh, very. I mean, I was very surprised that he didn't go four one four one. 
just I mean, it just hadn't entered my mind that he would that he would sort of throw that curveball. But uh, once he did, yeah, very much surprised to see both of the new kids start. I didn't I don't object to the to the tactics of the lineup. I feel like the the game, the mindset was, all right, let's just assume that whoever is going to go out and defend the ball will get beat. And I feel like he, he sort of then starting from that assumption set up the rest of the way. I don't think it was a bad assumption. Like I feel like uh, Shaq Moore on an island against whoever was going to be whoever was going to be collecting the ball out wide, he's going to sort of get beat most of the time, even if it's just for half a step. So then, all right, then who's going to cover that? Who's going to come over and help? And then how are we set up behind those two guys? Um, and I think that was I think that was the correct. I think that certainly played out to be the correct uh, setup. Yeah, it does seem like if we had come out with a four-one-four-one and tried to push forward, it it could have gotten really ugly. There was just no, there was no space. There was no space in the in our defensive third for France to to operate, or not much, at least. Right. It was it was a, like a, a awesome exercise in concentration and covering for like expecting to cover for a beaten teammate. Um, and that's where I think that sort of narrative comes on around the, about the fight and the energy. Like we did have, and guys did a great job of it. Uh, Tim Parker was excellent. Tyler Adams was excellent. Matt Miazga I thought was excellent at recognizing where the breakdown was going to occur. Cause it was just every possession France had, there was going to be a breakdown at one V one breakdown against a U.S. defender. So recognizing where it was going to occur and then helping to clean it up. And then when, when no one could clean it up, it was Zach Steffen doing the job. So that, yeah, that's that's all to say that the formation I think was built to to allow us to do that, and I think it it was successful. Cool. After the wingbacks, we had Trap as the six essentially, and then McKinney and Adams in front of him, and Green in front of them. Julian Green in front of them. It did feel like a four. We had four central midfielders for most of the match, um, and then Wood was Bobby Wood was up top. Going back to the ten minute spell where that was probably when we when we settled into the match a little bit, I agree with you that it's good that we that we could we had enough composure to hold on to the ball a little bit even if we couldn't do that much with it. But I thought we had a chance to put our stamp on the match in that period, but we didn't largely because we didn't have anybody in the midfield who was able to turn into space and be a little bit aggressive. I'm gonna mostly single out Tyler Adams here. Somebody put somebody put uh, some clips together on Twitter. Brian Rice, I think, was the name. I got some run from some prominent soccer Twitter folks. I didn't want to be the one to make the gifs because I don't want to be a jerk, and I'm not a hater. <laughs> <laughs> but I noticed the same thing, which which was that Adams Adams just doesn't seem super aware of what's going on behind him. So he he would play it too safe. Most of the time, one time he tried to turn and just got totally rocked. And I thought that that, that combined with some pretty sloppy touches from Weston McKenney, touches that really have me scratching my head and questioning my whole view of the universe this week, <laughs> um, made it difficult for us to put France on the back foot. We never, We never quite did it. And I think if we had a chance to do it, we had a chance to do it in that spell and didn't do it, and that set the tone for the whole match. They they continued to like just constrict us. And I would say it, wa- it wasn't like France was pressing with incredible ferocity either. There was a little room 
for our center mids to to turn and play passes, but they just couldn't get it done. And I think that was a crucial that was sort of a crucial turning point in the match. We got a little bit of a foothold. We couldn't get a full foothold because our mids weren't just weren't quite good enough at advancing possession. Now there's other stuff that goes into that. Like Bobby Wood was pretty bad. Yeah, what do you think? Am I being too hard on the kids? Uh, no, I think it's a fair criticism of the kids. I think uh, I think what what I'll do is sort of the uh, the opposite side of that to sort of defend them is to say the way we're set up so defensively with essentially five backs, um, they're always going to one sort of feel like they have less time because they're going to have fewer options to play. Uh, you know, whereas normally you know when you receive the ball, you've got Pulisic high to the right and uh, Tim Weah high to the left. Here you're basically like. It's me and it's McKenney, and then I know Green and Wood are around somewhere, but you know, there's you don't have those built in high and wide options to play. Uh, yeah. So you're essentially trying to almost like stall until Robinson and Moore can join. And it's new. It's, I mean, this is the first time they've run this formation with the US. So uh, I'm, I'm willing to be a little bit more forgiving. I'll recognize that it's totally correct that they did struggle, uh, but I'm essentially willing to say, that would be almost expected, uh, given given the circumstances. McKen- or, uh, yeah, McKenney's really did stand out too. How those those he, those weren't forced errors. Like he just kind of uh, pinged balls out of bounds or just missed guys by seven or eight yards. Yeah, there was one in particular where Miazga played a pass through the lines that McKenney McKenney just took the heaviest touch he's ever taken, and could have you know it was a great pass could have resulted in some something of a combination there and just really bad touch i think he'll, he'll probably want this game back yeah and it's it's like pool it's, it's for me it's a lot like pool second like oblivion that it doesn't really worry me that much because uh the game i don't think the game was too fast before him i think he literally was just like you know he just had some missed or poor touches uh, he also did come good every once in a while. I know at one point I think Miazga fed him with he had a little just enough time to uh, hit a great split and put Robinson in on the run down the sideline. Yep. Uh, turned into that chance that Bobby Wood was offside on. So we still see that McKenney has that uh, even against a really good team. I think he's going to sort of regress back to his mean, which is ahead of where uh, he looked against that against that France team. Yeah, I I don't want to overstate what I. I thought that one poor touch was really bad, and there were maybe a couple other instances, but he had he had good moments too. The the most notable notable of which was the one you just mentioned. I thought the more the more serious insight was Adams' just dispositional reluctance to being aggressive in the middle of the field. But I you know I've been had some interesting discussions on Twitter about that over the last day or two. And I think, you know, as some people point out, it's, it's an extremely difficult position to play well, you know, to be a, someone who can connect passes forward from that position. I'm referring to Adams right now. And mm-hmm. and it's it, some of that stuff can be learned, you know, taking touches in a way that opens up space for you, learning to learning to look back and scan behind you before you receive the ball. And I subscribe to the view that he can improve in that way. I just think it's important to note right now to bookmark the fact that he's not quite there yet. Sure. Uh, 
if only to look back and smile a year from now, you know, <laughs> as we watch him grow up. Uh, no, I agree. And, and you've got to assume that if, if he makes a big move over to over to Germany, that a lot of that will be developed or improved upon. And I still I still want to give him just a little bit of uh, latitude here because of the fact it's it's much harder to play forward when you have two fewer options to play forward, too. So we'll, we'll definitely take it as a data point in, in those clips, you know, that Brian Rice put together. Don't lie. I mean, that's that's a, that was a, a liability or a sort of missed chances within the France game. You know, so we'll we'll see if those get polished uh, in the next six to eight months. Yeah, it's it doesn't seem like they're going to get polished at New York Red Bulls. Did you see Greg Berhalter's sort of the shady sort of threw at Jesse Marsh before their game on Saturday? <laughs> yes, he the said, compliment, but not quite a compliment. <laughs> yeah, not really a compliment. Yeah, they don't like to they don't like the ball or something. Yes, they don't like to have exactly. the ball. Berhalter's not wrong about that, and right? I, and I don't think Adams is is forced to build possession in the way that he's going to have to do for the national team with his current club. So let's hope he let's hope he can make a move and everything else is there, man. He was he was a force in the middle of the field. You know he was he was closing down Pogba and Conte when they had the ball. He was a terror. And, and that's that's what I think the emphasis should be on is what was his primary job in that game, uh, and I think he did his primary job really really well. Okay, B plus, Tyler. <laughs> All these players are waiting, like, like in complete anxiety for our rate for our grades. <laughs> yeah, for our totally like incoherent rating system. <laughs> from so it's interesting you say that from the you know for the next sixty minutes of the game we showed composure and had something of a, a hold on the game. I I didn't really see it that way. I thought from about the twenty minute mark to the end of the game with the exception of the green goal and a little half chance created by Sargent and Adams for Joe Corona, France was utterly dominant. I mean, they had his pin back. How many bona fide goal scoring chances do you think they created throughout the game? Ten? The U.S.? No, France. Oh, man, no. Oh, France. Oh, man, no. It was, it was, it's got to be more than 10. Like 15? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a comprehensive, uh, it was dominant. Um, and I'm not. I don't think the U.S. ever necessarily got a foothold in the game. I just mean they didn't look panicky. So they'd get the ball uh, at the top of their own box. It's not like we were going to connect six passes and get it up to Woods' feet with people flying past them. Right. It was just very much like, okay, I'm not going to panic here. I'm going to hit somebody who's in a better position than me to to solve this immediate danger. Um, sometimes that would be it. So it just wasn't panicky. It wasn't like we had to constantly like dive in with desperate lunges to poke it out of bounds or. Uh, or do that we were once we actually like France screwed up and, and lost their their edge their advantage uh, I thought we just looked like we were composed and knew how to handle that immediate transition okay I can agree with that yeah I thought I thought Will Trapp had a lot to do with that too he was pretty solid in my opinion yeah Will Trapp Will Trapp was, was very good at that and I think Parker did a really was a did a fine job of it as well okay let's talk about the goal Green's goal and I'll I'll start by saying I think it was just a total fluke. It started with Bobby Wood dribbling into a tackle. Now we we did get the ball up into their attacking third, which is 
you know, job one. But Bobby Wood dribbled into a tackle. The tackle sprayed perfectly to Moore in stride on the right wing. Moore hit a cross that was cut out easily by Sidibe, but the Monaco fullback's touch was iron, and it popped away from him, and, and Green pounced, turned, and stroked the ball through Sidibe's legs, hit it well. The shot caromed off the inside of Sidibe's left knee and beat the keeper at the near post. That's the offense that we're going to sustain through the final of Qatar 2022, Bells, right there. We just we just set up as many of those situations as possible. I mean, we did do the, the first job, which was to get near the goal. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. I guess most people listening to this will, will have seen the goal and seen many replays of it. But I just think it's worth pointing out it was like not really the result of a, of a clean attacking move or anything other than basically a howler by Sidibe. Right. Literally all five pieces of the buildup were accidental except for like Julian Green's technique, right? Like yeah. Julian Green did what he was trying to do, which was shape his body and hit the ball hard at, at the target. Which he did nicely. Let's give him his due there. That's he 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 had to like turn as he was striking it. Yeah, he did. And and this is where you know, I'm going to go back uh, to our last bit where we were talking about end product. This is where I feel like end product is more of a narrative than any useful uh, measure of a player's, you know, future likelihood to score. Julian Green now gets the goal. So does, does he somehow provide more end product? Is that a, is that an example? I mean, the fact that it bounces, just deflects off of uh, the inside of somebody's shin and then beats Hugo Lloris at the near post like if Larry saves it does Julian Green suddenly lack end product I mean he delivered it bottom line 1-0 at that point but I yeah I get your point so yeah for the for the next opportunity is Green somehow now a more reliable uh scorer than than a Tim Weah or Josh Sargent anyway I mean no full credit to Green he got where he was supposed to be and again uh the technique is solid to hit that ball at the target um but that, yeah just I just wanted to uh, hit that because I know it sort of come up again over the week of people's various views on what end product means. Right, right. Very quickly, let's just say France really came into their own midway through the second half and pelted the goal for the last 20 minutes or so. Josh Sargent came on for Bobby Wood, didn't really make an impact, and which, you know, you can hardly blame on, on him. And then Zach Steffen had a had two really nice saves right at the end of stoppage time. One on a a screamer from way outside of the box from I think was it from F- Fakir or Jose Hernandez or um and then and then he saved a Dembele strike from just inside the six. The second half of that double save was that's an outstanding save. And also I just want to point out that had he not hit gotten to it, I think there was Tim Parker again, like ready to clean up another mess he was on the line ready to play second goalkeeper uh which again just shows the concentration and the all of the redundancies that we built into the game plan yeah i agree i mean I'm, you're like i say every podcast you're the goalkeeper so you know best but it seemed to me that that second save was was outstanding like to get yes. to get a hand on that for uh for a guy i mean steph in this case for a guy who was coming into the game that just needed to essentially avoid a howler to move up in the pecking order given the the prior uh, performances from the U.S. goalkeepers, um, you know, he he far exceeded that that low low benchmark. 
Well, that's a good segue. Let's let's go through the performances and see, you know, with an eye to what did we learn about the player pool from this game and from the last three. got to be the first choice goalkeeper now right yes and again uh essentially because the other goalkeepers played their way down mm-hmm. uh, um uh and so stefan did and this was a game for it this was a game these games are actually built to make goalkeepers look good um because if even if stefan gives up two or three goals as long as they're not howlers and what you'll remember are the five saves that he's going to make because he's going to get so many opportunities to lay out for for these shots and to be honest he did look like he had the goal well covered, even on all these France shots that whistled just wide. I know Griezmann probably had four himself that he, he just missed curling on frame, but Stefan's hands were always right there in the picture, looking like they were real close to that post yeah. uh, to have the shot covered. But yes, Stefan uh, definitely emerges out of the last four months as as the leader of the pack. Griezmann looked sad when he came off. <laughs> he did, didn't he? <laughs> just like... He was he was so close to a hat trick. It feel, it, he probably felt like, and instead he's watching his team. Like he's panicking about what could happen in, in Russia. Yeah, I th- feel like there's a good chance we won't see him start that first game. He 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 did. He's got to do better than he did on Saturday. So okay, Stefan's first choice goalkeeper. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. Um, center backs. We have we have Miazga, Parker, and CCV to assess. My view is Miazga looked really good before he came off after that scary collision with Giroux. Uh, played some line-breaking passes, seemed very assured and calm on the ball, as you've noted. Seems seems to me he's he's number two or maybe even number one, depending on Brooks' health, Brooks's health at center back. Any disagreement? No, I think Miazga's got himself uh, on the team sheet for the for the next, essentially for this cycle. Now Parker and CCV are, I think there's a little more wiggle room with them. Were you more impressed with one than the other? Uh, I was probably more impressed with Parker, and it might have just been because he had more opportunities to uh, clean up messes. He was on Shaq Moore's side, right? No, he wasn't. He was on. Do I have that wrong? Yeah, he he might have been cleaning up messes that started on Shaq Moore's side and then ended up on the left left side of the defense. Yeah, that's so. I maybe maybe uh, maybe I'm just remembering some sequences wrong, but it, it just felt like uh, Parker was in position to, you know, when when Pogba would beat one player with his touch would be like a little bit heavy to beat that player, and Parker was always right there to either clean up the ball or to. Uh, put himself in the line of a shot. Mm. I thought Parker was really good at putting himself in the lines of shots to make Stefan's goal a little bit smaller. Yeah. He reminded me a lot of Jay Demerit. Uh, Parker and Miazga both were very Jay Demerit-ish uh, in their defensive movement and positioning. And I mean that as I mean that as a high compliment. I really respect Jay Demerit's defensive positioning and 
reading of the game. Cool. Yeah, I I thought both Parker and CCV were pretty solid in the Parker was more visible probably, but both did a good job of cleaning up messes and were decent on the ball. I would like to see more incisive passing from all the center backs. I don't know if I'm just being ridiculously unrealistic here, but to me, Parker and CCV both look like serviceable center backs, but not the ideal for what we want at the position. I mean, Parker had a few instances where he would win a tackle with just brute strength and alertness, and then he would just slam the ball right into like Pogba's knees or something, you know. <laughs> and and CCV had that uncalled foul on Giroud, which would have could have changed the complexion of the match. So he yeah, wasn't perfect either, but definitely would change like everyone's ratings, uh, like their player ratings for CCV if that gets whistled. Um, no, I'm with you. I think Parker and CCV both didn't hurt themselves. If the fact that France were taking all these shots from uh, 18 to 25 out instead of 8 to 15 out, I think says a lot about how positionally sound the, the center three were. Um, so I think that in that sense, just that sort of stat alone, the number, I think French outshot us like 19 to 2. Very few of those shots coming, you know, Drew's header was one of the few shots that came from the center, like the central area of the field between the six and the penalty spot. Yeah. Uh, that means that those three guys made it difficult to get into those areas. They, I think they all benefit uh, in the sense that you you see all three of them now as this is a guy that we, we could definitely rely on to do a job. Yeah, that's po- and that's positive. I did think Palmer Brown, when he came, on, came in from Miazga, gave us a little bit of a glimpse of maybe a higher caliber center back sometime down the road. I mean, he, he has obviously room to grow. But he just looks a little bit more technical, a little bit more composed than Parker and CCV, maybe more on a level with Miazga. I thought maybe Palmer Brown gave a good account of himself in limited minutes there. What's positive about that is, so through this entire, whatever, three-game three, three game, uh, summer series, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like our this is our, our World Cup, uh, we've, I think we've really seen that there is a pool of center backs that exists right now that essentially rules out the need for a Beasler or a, even like a Cameron um, the rest of the way. Uh, Omar, again, certainly is not in the picture, it seems like. So whether Brooks is healthy or not, we have we have a group of guys that we can we can now rely on. And and yeah, now the competition will they'll, they'll go back to their clubs and uh, we'll assess them there, but. It doesn't. Do you feel like we have a, a solid pool of center backs that we can draw from now? Yeah, I do. I even even Walker Zimmerman uh, did well for himself. That's true. Yeah, I don't mean I shouldn't say it like that. It sounds terrible. Even even Walker Zimmerman. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if I maybe I'm maybe I'm overrating Beasler, but I always liked him both on the ball and as a defender. And I still do, and I don't know that Parker or CCV is preferable to him. You know, if we had to, like, if we were going to the Gold Cup this summer, and it was, I think I'd still rather have Miazga and Beasler than Miazga and any of these other guys. 
if we had to win right now. But, uh, you know, I'm willing to back off of that. Cameron's – and Beas- the thing is, Beasler is still – you know, he's like 30 or maybe he's 31. So he's got at least a couple good years left in him. Cameron, with all the controversy around him and the fact that he's like already 35 – I, I could agree that he's probably he's probably seen his last days. Well, I'm just thinking we know that none of these guys, these young kids that we've that we've seen in the last three games are train wrecks, and I think that goes a long way to saying even if Beasler does have an edge, um, we don't have any games uh, for the next year that are must-win games. So that's where for me it's like at, at that point I'd say invest your time in in these younger players. Um, who have already shown to be capable rather than being like, I, I don't know. I just, there's a lot of people saying you got to keep calling the old guys until the, the young ones beat them out. I just, I just feel like our time would be better spent letting Miazga play with getting more minutes with either Parker, CCB, or Eric Palmer Brown than rather than having Miazga playing with Beesler. That makes sense. I can sign on to that. We do, we do have a pool of serviceable center backs that are under 25. So that's, I mean that's great news. How about the how about the wingbacks? Moore and Robinson. Like I said earlier, I thought Moore had a tough time with Benjamin Mendy and I forget who else was beating him on the left side. But he did offer the most going forward of just about anybody on the team. And Robinson had a good game. I thought other than Stefan and Miazga, he probably had the brightest performance. Nothing, the goal came through his side of the field, but I don't think that was really on him. He stepped to somebody and left a, left the winger open, and the winger crossed it. I don't know maybe he should have maybe should have stayed home. But Robinson and Corona in a in a two v three essentially that uh, Corona. I mean this is where this is really sort of nitpicking, but Corona's angle was slightly off. I feel like when he was closing down the ball. Which turned it into it turned the three v two into a two v one as as France released it and yeah then Robinson stepped to the ball and then it turned into a one v zero down the sideline, um, but no I, I'm I'm with you I thought Robinson was really strong, um, I thought he was I thought he was really solid in defense and I thought he showed some composure on the ball as well uh, and there's there were times where he was showing composure when he didn't have any options he just had to uh, create a little passing window. Uh, to get it into Adams or McKenney or Trap, so I was very, I'm very high on Robinson for, for the the minutes he's gotten so far. Yeah, he's got to be, he's got to be one of the big winners of the whole camp. If I'm the coach, I'm, I'm starting him at left back from now on, at least for a while, until, until he proves that he doesn't deserve it. Yeah, that's where I'd be at with it too. That's, I mean, if if we're putting our lineups together, uh, I think Robinson's on the on the list on the sheet. Yeah. On the, when you say on the sheet, you mean in the starting lineup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in the he's in the, the formation right there at left back. He's on the diagram. Yes. His name is not transparent. <laughs> more. What about more? Where does he fall in the pecking order now? Um, I so for more, I feel like he's he's shown that he belongs in the group. I I feel like there, it'll take some time for him to edge out DeAndre Yedlin if he's able to do that. Yeah. I don't I don't think right now uh Shaq Moore like has done enough where you're like, yes, this is he is an upgrade from DeAndre Yedlin. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's 
Yedlin is, despite his limitations, which we cover in great detail on this podcast, he is a Premier League right back at the moment, and it's going to take a little bit more than what Moore did on Saturday to unseat him, I think. I'd agree. The midfield, we have discussed a lot. I think we can just sort of skip over Adams and McKenney. I think they're both probably in the starting lineup most games going forward. Didn't have their best games, but didn't play badly either. Um, Trap. I thought he was better than most people in my Twitter timeline did. I handled the stage and the pressure well, was clean, and occasionally advanced possession forward. I know you sort of agree with me from what we talked about earlier. What, what's your take on Trap? Yeah, I wish I'd been a little bit more disciplined while I was watching the game and uh, almost like tallied up Trap's uh, passing because I feel like almost every time he got it, he he found a U.S. player's feet. Um, and again, it was never about springing a counterattack in this one. But we did help to put people in really good positions. I know on the Wood disallowed goal, it was Trap who did spring Shaq Moore. We weren't really built to uh, to go the other way, essentially, in this game. So it would have been very difficult for anyone to hit a bunch of really incisive passes. But he, he hit a pass. And in this game, that's really all he could have done. So I thought Trap was good. I think Trap has been... Uh, very, very much in the good enough category over the last few friendlies he's played in to very to very much be in the picture. Yeah, for this for this U.S. pool. I agree. I thought he was quite good. Yeah, um, quite good enough that you still aren't a little bit disappointed that Keaton Parks was left out entirely. I don't know. I'm just losing my energy for being outraged about that kind of thing. I thought there was plenty we could learn f- with seeing Trap on the field. Would I have liked to see Parks? Sure, but I'm okay. I'm okay with it. The The real story with Keaton Parks is not whether he gets minutes in these friendlies. It's whether he gets minutes with Benfica in the fall. I mean, that's, yes. that's, the, that's the deal with Keaton Parks. If he starts some games for Benfica or gets regular minutes off the bench for them in the fall, then he's got to get minutes with the national team. There's, there's no doubt about right. it. But I don't no think brainer that, at that point. Right. I don't think it's a given that he's going to... He's going to break into that squad. There's going to be a lot to sort out this summer with the player pool, comings and goings, and uh, promotions to first teams. We'll have to devote an episode to that. Yeah, just so that everyone can keep track of it. You're going to need a full conspiracy board up on your... I can just picture all the different colors of yarn you're going to have. (laughs) All right, so that's the midfield. The attackers were, uh, you know, ostensibly Julian Green and Bobby Wood. I've been down on Green, and I think we talked about him in the last pod as somebody who just kind of passes the ball from one non-threatening position to another. I feel a little bit bad about that now because I rewatched the game, and you know, aside from that giveaway in the early in the first half, he had a very solid game in a situation in situations where he didn't get on the ball a lot but when he did get on the ball he was able to connect a pass sometimes sometimes in ways that opened up a little bit of space he got the goal he was involved in a lot of the forward movement that we had which was, which again wasn't very much but i'm a little bit more excited to see how julian green performs in two bundesliga this year he's barely 23 He'll be 27 for Cutter. I thought he had a pretty good game. The goal, just even setting the goal aside. And the goal, obviously, is valuable. Um, yeah, Come at I, me. Come at me, Greg. I, 
I'm, I'm still not super optimistic that Green's going to be really heavily involved in the in the U.S. going forward. I feel like he's, I still have him sort of in the same tier as a Rubio or Bean. Um, I don't think he, he can, I don't think there's a lot of things that he does better than uh, players we already have. I, like, if he's going to be the all-around guy, I don't know that uh, he's going to do that better than even Bobby Wood, who I know you're not that high on either. Um, but if I mean, he's not the speed guy. He's not the uh, delivery. Guy. He's not going to hit in a bunch of great service. I just feel like again, I still think that my best comparison for him is Juan Agudelo, and that he's very well rounded, but doesn't do any of those things quite well enough to to really threaten for to lock down like a starting spot. Yeah. Yeah, you'll notice I was very. I was very careful in the way I phrased it. I said, I'm excited to see how he does in two Bundesliga. <laughs> yes. So, and I thought he deserves, he deserves credit for a solid to above average performance on Saturday. But, yes, he does. Yeah. He definitely does. And that was, you know, I mean, that's a, he, it was a very thankless job he was tasked with. He and Bobby Wood both. Um, and he did, he did a, he did a decent job at it. So it'll be interesting if Bobby Wood keeps the same two Bundesliga yarn that, Julian Green's going to have. We'll see if they, if they, uh, maybe we'll get a little bit of like a side by side comparison. Yeah, Bobby will go down there and score twenty goals, just blowing people <laughs> off the ball. Although the word is, I saw some transfer rumor today that he's he's being looked at by Hanover. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what has persuaded the the technical director there to pursue Bobby Wood, but. If that's the case, that'll be good for Bobby. Get another chance at the Bundesliga. It's all these goals he's scoring for the U.S.? I mean, four goals in his last six appearances. Four and a half if you if you count the offside goal that you don't count. <laughs> I got to mention here that I was a little higher on him right after the game than I was after re-watching it. Uh, I thought initially that he did you know, yeoman's work battling against the run of play, which is kind of his specialty as a professional soccer player uh, in a w- in ways that Josh Sargent probably couldn't have done. His physicality and strength were, I initially thought, a big asset. And after watching the game a second time, I have to, I'm going to have to scale that back a little bit. He was pretty bad, again. Like well, you said... Like oh, go ahead, Bells. Go ahead, Bells. Well, like you said, there wasn't a lot he didn't have a lot of people to pass the ball to. So we weren't like attacking as a unit very well. So that with that caveat, he, he just doesn't connect play very well. And, and he was offside, you know, I initially I was like, Oh, he was barely offside on that goal. Well, he shouldn't have been offside. He was, he was running offside for like 10 yards. Yeah. Yeah. On that one. And on the, on the one that Robinson set him up with in the first half, uh, you know, you're playing on the back line, like you're playing right on the guy's shoulder. If you take off running at the goal, like what do you think is going to happen? Like uh, you're literally just darting into the giant offside space. Um, you could make a slight argument on both those that like the pass was delayed, like Robinson in the first half had to get his feet right for whatever reason. They weren't, he wasn't set up to hit an early ball when Wood had acres of space to run into. But in the second half, uh, Moore didn't play the early ball, but even if he had played it right when he could have, like you're saying, Wood was actually already offside, yeah. and then he just remained offside the next thing. So unless he was expecting Moore to take a 
big touch at the end line and uses pace to uh, get deeper to play a, a different kind of a cutback. Yeah, Wood just started offside and stayed off for eight, nine steps. Yeah. Uh, I will go back, though, and good. say, I will say, though, I think you're almost right in both your assessments. Like, Wood did do a ton of battling. I think... I think one of his problems is like he does some battling that he shouldn't need to to do. Like there are sometimes where you've battled for a little bit long enough to for somebody to get uh, to make themselves available. But I don't think Wood always does a great job of picking that out right when it right when it happens. So then he ends up having yeah. to do some unnecessary battling. I mean, the guy's work rate is never in question. Uh, I just wish he could he could find those moments sooner to sort of end that battle and relieve relieve himself of that pressure. Yeah, work smarter, not harder. Bye. There you go, Bells. The thing about that goal that was called back is if if Wood had not touched it, guess who was on the back post and who was onside and would have... Are you, are you going to tell me it was Julian Green? No, it was Weston oh. McKinney. Weston okay. McKinney. Weston McKinney made a great run to the back post, wasn't offside, was in position to hit that ball in. And, uh, and as soon as the ball went in the net, McKinney looked at the line judge and and as Bobby Wood started to celebrate he he looked at Bobby and pointed at the line judge. <laughs> Weston has the best view of the whole thing going, Yeah, no, man, you're offside, that's why I was telling you to leave it. Like <laughs> Right. He didn't yell at him or anything, so that's no. that's nice. No, I think so so that ends up being a bad one. And again, that first half one that Robinson set up on, I feel like it's overlooked how how good of a scoring chance that was for the US. Like we had the entire we had like a youth soccer breakaway set up and we just we just kind of squandered it. Robinson didn't hit a great ball, uh, so it never really developed anyway. But um, that was, that was a like we just opened France up somehow despite only running two people at them. Which is a good example of what of the kind of opportunities McKenney can create from deep, you know, with a with just a casual quick pass, right in stride for Robinson there. It's funny that I, I, I watch these games on Unimas or Univision and they cut out as, as soon as the ball came to McKinney, they cut away to a replay of Pogba's shot off the post, which had happened like four minutes earlier. <laughs> and I was just like, dang, 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 go back, go back. And I could hear like the crowd noise and I didn't see it until somebody sent me a gif later in the day. So... Come on, come on, Unimas. Well, that covers it. So basically, everybody's kind of hold serve, except for Robinson probably advances in the depth chart, and Stefan does, and maybe trap a little bit. Yeah, and I'd put Tim Parker as a, as a guy who improved his stock. I think Tim, I mean, going from what I would say is essentially a completely unknown value, uh, I guess I'll say he set his value higher than I necessarily expected him to. Okay. Uh, how about how about Dave Sarakin's performance in these in, in this game and sort of over the his tenure? I, I assume we're calling this his his swan song. Yeah, it's a happy ending, as they say. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't find anything to criticize about Sarakin really. Nothing of substance. I mean, you can quibble with a roster choice here or there, but he brought in a lot of young players, got them opportunities, and got a draw at France. 
it wasn't pretty on Saturday, uh, but I don't think we can expect that from this pool of players yet. So I, I give him a, I give him an A with the caveat that he only gets an A if he moves on now. <laughs> uh, the one thing I wish he had done differently is I wish at halftime leading France one zero. Even though it was definitely wasn't in his plans, I wish he would have sort of raised two middle fingers to France and made like all six subs at halftime just to be like, we're not even taking the second half seriously. We beat you guys in the first half, one zero. Like sort of uh, discredit any like comeback France could make and just be like, oh yeah, that was against our that was against our scrubs. You didn't you didn't actually beat us. We beat you. No, and the- that would be <laughs> hilarious. But that was never in his mind, as you no. know. I there was a re. I saw right after the green goal, they, the cameras cut to Sarakin and he was and he was like telling everybody, "Slow down! Don't don't get back to midfield too quickly. There's only one minute left." <laughs> he was playing for the result, hardcore, <laughs> coaching for the result, which is you know understandable, but it's kind of a little bit unsettling how you know how much the result means to him. I get no, maybe it's not unsettling. He gets a good result. It improves his career prospects in general. Can't blame him for that. Uh, and, you know, again, I think it's it's meaningful to the kids. Like, he knows what's meaningful to the players, too. So making six subs and sort of devaluing the entire gameplay, like, I don't think that would be beneficial. I think it was more beneficial to uh, give the guys out there, like, a chance to do this. Uh, I don't think it has a ton of long-term uh, effect like I know there are people saying this gives them all this confidence and I think that's again sort of that narrative nonsense uh, I know in 2015 we went to Germany and beat Germany with a squad that included Juan Agudelo and Mix Discarude uh, Giazzi Zardes in the midfield and it's not as though that led to you know you know, I, I would definitely say that that didn't lead to a very confident cycle uh, at, a, at a, the US or any of those other guys so I don't think there's any necessarily long-term like confidence building that goes on, but it just would have been a good experience for these guys in that moment to compete for the to compete for that result. Yeah, they're competitive guys. They they want to can be able to say that they beat Paul Pogba or that they beat Antoine Griezmann. What are your What are your prospects for France in the World Cup now? They looked a little, uh, they looked a little troubled, didn't they? No, I don't think they look troubled at all. Like, okay. I think they, I think they uh, created more than enough chances to actually win the game. Do you remember what Spain's send-off was in 2010 or what Germany's send-off game was in 2014? Uh, I do not. They are fine. Uh, I'll say, like, this is unfortunate. You know, you said at the last 25 or 30 minutes, France was just running rampant, right? Like, they just were having their way? Yes. Uh, I feel like that coincided with Giroud being withdrawn after the collision of heads. Um, they could have, under very unfortunate circumstances, learned that they're more dynamic with Giroud off the field. And so they might they might have sort of stumbled into finding their best lineup through Giroud's injury. Maybe so. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Usman Dembele fan, and he, he definitely made an impact when he came on. Mm-hmm. He'd be a starter for maybe any other nation on the wing maybe not germany but uh be really cool to see he on one he on one side and mbappe on, mbappe on the other 
Yeah, with Griezmann, with Griezmann up top, like that's what I actually want to see. And I'm kind of, again, I'm kind of hoping that uh, Giroud is the second best looking man in the World Cup. Uh, I want to see him come off the bench. Actually, I really like Giroud, but I just think he shouldn't be part of France's starting lineup. Hmm. Carlos Vela, obviously, is the best looking man in the World Cup. Yeah. So you got Vela and then Giroud. And then Giroud, yes. And it's pretty, and then, and then I think it's a, larger drop off <laughs> to get to number three. All right. So France looks like they're going to be pretty good for Velasquez and uh, the send off game doesn't matter. No one will remember this in two weeks. No one will remember this in four days. Yeah. Except for us. Yes. No one, no one in France will remember this in four days. We'll be covering the world cup from a CONCACAF perspective over the next few weeks. And then we'll get heavy back into the USMNT stuff in July, you know, and, and we'll be talking about it sort of throughout with, uh, friendlies coming up in September transfer window closing at the end of July or most transfer windows closing at the end of July. There'll be a lot to talk about. Any last thoughts on the France game, Greg? Well, I'll say this. Did you, did you get sort of the sense that a lot of people were one, predicting us to get completely blown out even like once the lineups came out, and then two, still kind of like bad mouthing the the tactics and the the approach the US took. Yeah, I mean it's hard for me to keep track of all the haters, you know. Uh yes, there were people saying both of those things. I think it's all you I guess my view is it's just all useful, you know. It's useful. Right. To, it's useful to try the three at the back. It's use, useful to try to get a result against a superior side, which is something that every U.S. national team player is going to have to be used to doing, uh, at least for the next two decades, probably. The part of the bad mouthing that I sort of appreciate is the reality check on, like, hey, we've gotten results like this before against superior opponents. We've scratched out draws and even wins against better teams by by packing it in and parking the bus and, you know, trying to nick a goal here or there, that's not a new thing. So it's not like there's some, there should be some like celebration of progress. It's better than what we did against Trinidad, but it's not better historically than the U S has ever been. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's the smart, the smart approach to it all is it's, it's sort of just, it's like you said, it's just, it's a useful uh, data point it's a useful snapshot uh, trying to project out anything meaningful from it might be a little bit much but also sort of like bad mouthing it as like uh, I don't know it, it was it was it was just bizarre I just sort of sensed it was bizarre and I don't know if it's just this residual bitterness that everyone sort of ha- that a lot of people just have in general towards the US national team um, I don't know I just sort of was getting that sense and like, so what do you guys the, the, want like we're we're playing France with our kids like this is great what are we upset about yeah yeah there's a lot of just seems like there's a lot of axe grinding out there but like I always say if you think there's a lot of axe grinding in U.S. soccer Twitter <laughs> I can introduce you to some local politics axe grinding that makes this look like the Cinderella story. <laughs> All right. All right. That, that's all. That was my last thought. Enjoy, like, enjoy the game. Enjoy the, watching the kids compete against France. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a happy result, and we still have a long ways to go. Well, how long do we have to go? How, what do we need to do to be able to compete to get on the pitch and 
and play football with a team like France. Uh, so I was thinking about it like Antoine Griezmann's, what, 27? Uh, so you think about our current sort of what I'm calling this young core of like, I almost want to call them stars already. Like when West McKinney is 27, hopefully we've had then two or even like three sort of half generations of Weston McKinney's coming along as well. Um, so that could be a much, you know, I mean, you think about the quality of that lineup in this sort of hypothetical uh, projection, like that's, that's a quality team. That's a team that could play mm-hmm. uh, potentially against the top teams in the world. Yeah, I think we're going to do, I'm going to do a podcast in July with uh, at USA Prospects, a Twitter account who's kind of the dean of dual nationals studies on Twitter. He's been tweeting about this stuff for a long time and has a lot of followers. But we're going to go over the U20 player pool, you know, with the World Cup about 10 months away at that point. There, You know, there's a lot of talent, more talent, I would say, than the last cycle. Now, some people might disagree with me there. But the last cycle, we had three age-eligible players who would have been there had their clubs released them but were not released. And those are Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, and Nick Taitagwe. I, there's a good chance in this next cycle for the U20s that there are going to be four, five, maybe even six guys who won't be released because they're too good already. And then there's a, a quite credible lineup behind them. So, you know, if we can keep improving in those teams year after year in every two-year cycle, you know, we could ha- well have 23 players who who can get on the ball and make things happen the way Weston McKinney can, to your point. So, that yeah, that's where, that's where I'm like uh, – and, and who knows, maybe we hit a couple, just a couple guys – who can uh, get on the ball and make things happen like a Paul Pogba can. Like that's what we're missing, right? We're missing those sort of these incredible top end talents that France has in abundance. Yeah. We needed, we really needed Tyler Adams or Weston McKinney to step by a defender in midfield and just destabilize France in that 10 minute spell from the 10th to the 20th minutes. I thought, that would have done things to my soul, Bells. That would have, like, seeing that just a couple of times, that would have just been like, oh, man. Like, yeah, that's that's where you do start cutting up confetti for 2022. Yeah. But we can't do it yet. We can't <laughs> no. cut up the confetti yet. No. It's just that printer paper is going to stay untouched for now. All right. Let's, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Greg. See ya. See ya.